For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to join us here this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and that you are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to find out this morning how, just how important the introduction to a sermon is. I spend about as much time on the introduction and on the last few sentences as I do on the whole rest of the sermon combined, but some preachers like to start out with sort of a theological bang, you know, something to get your attention. Other preachers like to sort of ease you into it with a, maybe a funny story or a compelling illustration. Uh, the sort of highlight of the form, of course, is when Jesus sat down to write the Sermon on the Mount. I can imagine him in his office, you know, surrounded by his books. Um, when Jesus sat down to write the Sermon on the Mount, the introduction he came up with, we call the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on. That's Pretty good, right? That's a pretty high bar for introductions there from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. All I've got for you this morning, and the reason we're going to see how important an introduction is, I don't have anything like the Beatitudes for you this morning. All I've got is a hopefully funny story and a possibly confusing Reddit reference. So that's a cry for help. So you can pray for me. Um, do you know about Reddit? Are you aware of this thing on the internet called Reddit? It's perhaps better that you not be. Uh, the shortest way to explain what Reddit is, is like a vast, giant network of internet chat rooms where people talk about literally every single thing in the world. There is a Reddit thread, a thread is what each of these sort of conversations are called, talking about anything you can think of. I found one uh, the other day called, this is the name of the thread, it's called, What's Your Secret That Could Literally Ruin Your Life If It Came Out? And people go on there and write their deepest, darkest secrets on the internet. You know, like you do. There are threads about video games and food and travel. Uh, again, anything you can think of, there's a Reddit thread about it. I've heard about one the other day, this Reddit thread called That Happened, and I spent far too much time looking at it this week. What ha that Happened is a place where people collect tweets and Facebook posts and Instagram posts and other sort of social media stuff where people have claimed that incredible things have happened to them that in no possible way could have really happened. So these are all collected in this place on Reddit called, ironically, That Happened. Here's an example. Stick with me. We're going places. Someone posted a tweet that they had found that said this. This is what the tweet said. My teacher told me, as you get older, there are two things you don't talk about, religion and politics. 
I told her, that's why things don't change. And she walked away crying. Everyone in class stood up and clapped. No possible way that actually happened, right? As I was looking through the posts on this Reddit thread, which again, I spent far too much time doing, I'm just confessing to you, I noticed that a lot of them are about the cute, wise, or profound things that people's children have allegedly said. Like one I saw that said, quote, my three-year-old said the most wise thing today about love. And everybody in the grocery store clapped and then paid for our groceries. Right? You just went too far. Perhaps they clapped, but nobody paid for your groceries. And you didn't even say the wise thing that your three-year-old said. I mean, come on. You got to try harder here. But as a social media user, I understand the urge to exaggerate, to sort of tell the best possible version of a story. I'm desperate for my kids to do or say something tweetable. I want some retweets. I want some likes. And nothing gets likes like cute kids or wise kids or profound kids. But my kids, my kids are just kids. They say things like, what are we having for dinner? And, but I don't want to have that for dinner. We did actually have sort of an accidentally profound conversation in the car the other day uh, during a discussion of where my kids wanted to have their birthday parties. So it started out normal, you know, things like Chuck E. Cheese, House of Boom, but then one of my kids said Chicago, which was <laughs> sort of out of the blue. We, we were sort of, admittedly, that sort of sounds like a logistical nightmare, you know, wanting to get your friends to go too, but we all agreed that technically it was possible to have your birthday party in Chicago. But then the question came, Daddy, anything is possible, right? And because I'm a nerd and a minister, I felt like I had to say, well, with God, all things are possible. But there are lots of things that aren't possible for people like us. And then we talked about some examples, like we talked about how lifting up a car was impossible. Although we agreed that the kids could lift up their matchbox cars and that I could probably lift up our Toyota Camry. It's cute. They want to think of their father as strong. Don't destroy their dreams. <laughs> and then, because again, I'm a nerd, and a minister, and I can't leave well enough alone, I felt like I had to add, and you know, there are lots of things that seem easy, but are actually impossible for us. Like, try deciding to be happy when you feel sad. It's impossible. And I was ready to sort of go into my whole Sermon on the Mount spiel that you've heard here before, right? Jesus raises the standards of behavior from difficult to impossible, saying that anger is the same as murder and lust is the same as adultery, before finally saying that we must be perfect, just as God is perfect. Talk about impossible, right? The standards, the commandments are impossible. But then sitting there in the car with my kids, I all of a sudden remembered the scriptures that I was going to have to preach on this week. 
1 John chapter 5, for the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. His commandments are not burdensome? How can John say this? How can John say that God's commandments aren't burdensome? I've been standing up here for three and a half years telling you week by week that God's commandments are impossible. For much of my Christian life, I've thought of God's commandments as totally burdensome. And I don't mean that they're bad, just that they're heavy. When I became a Christian... It seemed like what I was actually doing was sort of taking on a whole new set of behaviors. Like before, I could swear when I was playing basketball. But then I became a Christian. No more swearing. Now again, I didn't think of cleaning up my language as a bad thing. But it just became sort of one more thing I had to think about. One more little weight that was added on. I think we'd probably all agree that all else equal not swearing is better than swearing, but it's just one more thing. And being a Christian, it seemed, was a lot of one more things. All of a sudden, I had to think about how much I was reading my Bible. Never had to think about that before. How much time I was volunteering to outreach, how much money I was giving to my local church, what kinds of music and movies I was listening to and watching, if I was living up to the standards that Jesus was setting for my relationships with other people. It just kept piling up and piling up. Becoming a Christian was like taking on a second job. And not just any job, but a job where the boss is literally always watching. You can understand why Billy Joel might sing, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. You know, the sinners are much more fun. Because the saints have all of this work to do. It might not surprise you that during this time in my life, I never quite understood the famous statement of Jesus about his yoke and his burden that we actually say as part of the comfortable words every single Sunday. He says this in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is is light. This never made sense to me. An easy yoke? A light burden? That's not how most people describe their second job, is it? To me, following Jesus was all of these extra things I had to do. Not bad things, but heavy things. I never thought of Jesus' yoke as easy. It felt hard. I never thought of his burden as light. It felt heavy. And perhaps these words of Jesus's have always rung a little hollow to you too. As hollow as this sentence that we have 
before us in 1 John, for the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. That makes sense, although it sounds hard. Loving God means obeying his commandments. And then John says this ridiculous thing. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. But I'm convinced that it's that last statement. In the midst of this sentence that seems to be saying an incredibly burdensome thing, that loving God means obeying his commandments, all the while saying that it's not actually burdensome, I believe this last phrase that whatever is born of God conquers the world is the key to understanding what John is talking about and how it might be possible that for a Christian, God's commandments might not be burdensome at all. Listen to how John continues this thought. He starts in what might seem to be this confusing way. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. John doesn't stop there. That's not the end of the sentence. John writes, and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God conquers the world. His commandments are not burdensome because whatever is born of God conquers the world. And then his final clarification. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you hear this incredible claim? Faith conquers the world. Faith conquers the world. It's not actually love of God which is typified by obeying his commandments, it's faith. Love of God, obedience, is actually a result, not a cause. After all, as John said one chapter earlier in John chapter 4, he says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is Faith in the Son that conquers the world. We heard it this morning in our collect for the day, too. We all, said, we all heard it. Oh God, who hast prepared for those who love thee such good things as pass man's understanding, pour into our hearts such love toward thee, that we, loving thee in all things and above all things, may obtain thy promises which exceed all that we can desire. We ask God, before we love him, to pour love into our hearts. Who is it that conquers the world? Asks John, who then immediately provides the answer. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It is faith that changes everything. As Jesus is preaching the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount after his killer Beatitudes intro. He tries to help his listeners get ready to understand 
what they're about to hear. Because he's going to give them something that feels burdensome. Something that feels heavy. Don't be angry. Don't lust. Don't make promises. Just let your yes be yes. Don't resist an evildoer. Turn the other cheek. Be perfect. Jesus knows how heavy that will feel, how burdensome. It's going to feel like a second job. He knows it will, so he tries to make sure they understand. Listen to what he says. This is in Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Oh, the beauty of that one word. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Not you, but I. And doesn't that one word make all the difference in the world? Who has come to fulfill these burdensome commandments, says Jesus? He has, not you. Here's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though the commandments are burdensome, though they are heavy, they are a second job, they are a burden carried by another. Jesus isn't giving you a job. He's describing the extent of the job that he will do and has done for you. The weight that would break your back is laid on the shoulders of your Savior. When he shouted, it is finished, he was proclaiming a job well done, a job complete, a burden successfully carried. And so, the commandments for a Christian are not burdensome because Jesus carries them for you. Dr. Beverly Coventa, a professor of New Testament interpretation at Baylor University, was recently teaching on this finished work of Christ when a student raised his hand in her classroom and challenged her. I don't know, he said, it just seems like cheap grace to me. Oh, it's much worse than that, Dr. Coventa replied. It's totally free. And today, it's free for you. Amen.